Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, once again, we're thrilled that you've joined us here at our Faith in Your Recovery podcast. Have something special today. A gentleman I've just had the opportunity to meet. Uh, I'm anxious, Josh, to to hear your story, to, to reflect back and to share with us the victory, how God's worked in your life and the good things that are happening now. I know it wasn't always that way. I'm going to take a wild shot at the name here. Josh, I can't even get the first name out now. <laughs> Josh Ureña. You go ahead. That's, and that's close enough. Uh, it's Joshua Ureña. All right, where are you from, Joshua? Uh, my family's from Costa Rica, but I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Okay, and uh, you're still living there now, correct? Uh, I live uh, a little bit outside of, uh, of L.A. and uh, around San Bernardino, California. Okay, okay. And what's got you here in Indiana? Wow, that's a, that's a long story, but uh, I'm out here working on wind turbines. And um, I came across Brianna's Hope, and uh, that's how I found about I How'd found you out about come you. across Brianna's Hope? Tell us about that. That intrigues me. Well, it's it's uh, it's a little it's it's kind of funny actually. So um, about eighty something days ago, I entered a recovery home called the Lighthouse. So uh, flying out here, you know, I wanted to land in a safe place. So I I looked, searched for some sober living homes or whatnot, and I came across Miss Beth that uh, runs a sober living facility in uh, Lafayette called The Lighthouse. And uh, going to meetings with them, I found Brianna's Hope, and then I, I found the sticker that you guys uh, pass out, and, and I decided to email you guys, and here I am. Ah, oh, that's neat. That's neat. Have you attended any of the meetings there of Brianna's Hope? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, yes. Okay, where at the Grace Church or the newest one there, Christ Church? I think I've been. I think I've been to two of them. If there's only two, then I went to both of them. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you've hit them both there in Lafayette. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. And you say you're what presently working in the Fowler? I'm in area? Fowler. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fowler, just about thirty minutes out of Lafayette. All right, mm -hmm. all right. Well, thank you. I'm glad you found us. I'm glad you made your way here tonight. How long did it take you to get here, Joshua? Um, from Fowler, it took me a couple hours with a little bit of traffic. Yeah. What you guys call traffic, because yeah. it's no, nothing like L.A. traffic. So. <laughs> I've been there. I had a mm -hmm. sister-in-law that lived in Orange County for a number of years. Okay. And I remember trying to shoot across there. You didn't shoot anywhere very far, very fast. No. Okay. Not at all. Actually, that uh, recovery home I was at is in Orange County. It's called uh, um, Lighthouse Anaheim. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Lighthouse has been your your lighthouse, so to speak. Yes? It has. Very much so. It's been a beacon of hope for me today. Hooray for you. Let's back up. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell the folks a little something about Joshua's early childhood. Well, um, keep it raw. Keep it Keep real. it raw. Well, be honest. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, dad left at five. Um, 
I remember the actually I remember viv- very vividly, which is kind of uh, awkward to me because uh, it was 1980 and he had just purchased. I guess it was. I assume by my memory it was a 280Z. I just remember the little antenna going up when he turned the car on. But I also realized that it was full of his stuff. That was a Datsun, yes? A Datsun, yeah. It must, yes. have, must have been my a Datsun. My brother-in-law yeah. had a 280ZX. Okay, yeah. So I, <laughs> I recall it that way. Yeah. Excuse me. Go ahead. No, um, well, yeah. So, you know, I seen. I just watched him leave. And, and, and to be honest with you, um, much of that between 5 and 10, I have not much recollection of. I know that, I, uh, you know, mom was alone and... Uh, we moved around a lot, you know. We we weren't very stable, you know. Mom on uh, on you know a well you know welfare and um, so we we did move around a lot. That's all I remember. Brothers and sisters. I have uh, one. Uh, well, I have two brothers. Uh, my blood brother Christopher, and then uh, my half brother, which is uh, Carl. His name's Carl. Okay. His, his father's Puerto Rican. My stepdad. He's pretty pretty much the only father I had in my life. Uh huh. Okay, okay. So that kind of takes us up to the age of 10. Tell us about life at that point. Well, at the age of 10, um, so in L.A., the the schools get get overcrowded, you know, and uh, we had, so we had to take a bus from uh, the city to the outskirts, which was in, and at that time was Sun Valley, I believe. But um, so I just remember this, uh, you know, the bus driver, this black lady, you know, Abuse, sexually abused me, pretty much. Um, By your bus driver. The bus driver, yeah. So I would okay. always sit in the back of the bus. You know, I was kind of like a little wild child. You know, I mean, I, um, I don't know if you can, you haven't been able to tell yet, but I, I like to talk. You know, yeah. I, I talk to everybody. Well, I can tell by the yeah. hand motion. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the Puerto Rican stepdad. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, okay. he does a lot of this and that. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But yeah, so um, you know, and and uh, so at this particular day, she, you know, she she touched my 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 butt. You know, I I didn't think nothing of it. Went and sat back, and then we got to the school, and I was always the the one that you know I would get get out last. And well, this particular day, she just uh, she you know she kept me in the bus, and um, you know she made me touch her, and she touched me, and and. And I, I and didn't. You're ten years old. I'm ten years old, so uh, like you know, I'm th- I'm thinking it's a woman, you know. I don't I don't know. I, I thought it was cool. I guess in hindsight, I just didn't know what was going on. Really, absolutely not you know. at that age. Right, right. And um, and I, I didn't think anything of it, and I moved on with life, you know. But I do remember um. Just just uh. I don't know, just doing all kinds of stupid things, stealing and lying. And, um, you know, I, I think the process, I, I've, I've been an addict before I ever touched a drug or, 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 or the alcohol. The behaviors were I, there. Yes, sir, it was. Very okay. much so. Okay, okay. So was alcohol your first drug? Uh, well, you know, around 10 or something, I, I remember smoking a cigarette. My aunt used to smoke cigarettes and leave them up on top, and I would grab them. But uh, at the age of 13 was when I first tasted alcohol. I was in Costa Rica, and um, uh, my one of my uncles, some kind of party or something, and, and uh, I just drank, and I drank alcoholically from that moment. I just drank, to, and I passed out. Like, I didn't stop, you know. I wasn't happy with just the one little sip. I got drunk and I uh, got in trouble that became a lifestyle yes 
Well, yeah, later on, uh, not from that moment. Um, never really had the opportunity up until the age of 15. Okay, and then you got back into it. and uh... Well, yeah, I, I had a very tumultuous uh, childhood with my mom. You know, she uh, suffers from mental health issues, and, and I'm sure, you know, we're, we're Hispanic culture, and, and uh, you know, we don't talk about those things, especially back the, in those days, right? So, you know, she struggled. She's a young mother. She had me when she was 15. and um, A child raising a child. Pretty That's much. It's not an easy job. Yes, sir. It's not easy when it's an adult raising a child, yeah. let alone yep. the extra challenge. And, and I see that now, you know, but when you're in there at the time, it's very, very difficult. You know, not only because of her mental health issues, but already the things that I've, I've had suffered and seen and gone through at a very young age. So um, me and my mom just wouldn't, couldn't get along. I think we're perfectly, we're like, we're too, too much alike. Okay. We, we, we are like cats and dogs. So I had the opportunity to leave home. So at about 14 and a half, I left home and um, went clear, clear across the country to uh, New Jersey with uh, some uh, family members of my father. So you went from California to New Jersey. Yes, Is that sir. accurate? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, to some to, to people I never met in my life and, and people that, uh, you know, my father was supposed to be there. That's another long story, but he wasn't there when I got there. He gave me the option, hey, you can either stay here with your godparents, which I wasn't happy with because, you know, it was just too structured for me. I was already gone in that part, right? Like, it was too structured. That, you know, I had to listen and not do whatever I wanted because with my mom, I pretty much manipulated her and did what I wanted. And I wasn't happy, so I, I decided to go, and I and I landed over there, and and um, it was it was uh, it was okay for the first, you know, it was the summertime, so I I just did what any teenager would do, you know, I went to football camp and met the guys, and you know, I was a California boy, so when I got to school, I was like, you know, it was cool, you know, I was that already added a lot to your worth in their eyes at that point. Right, right. And myself, you know, because I really never had... We're the cool guy. Yeah, right. So, the cool kid. Yeah, I was good at football as well, so that kind of helped me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing that, uh, you know, where, where it went south was, you know, these these older cousins of my father, you know, they they drank, if not every day, at least really hard on the weekends. So I started drinking with them, you know. They, I started, I learned how to drink with uh, Shiva's Riggle and, and Coors Light. And, uh, you know, I was that kid that would uh, drink all weekend with these guys, pass out, black out, cry, let it all out, you know, the only way I knew how. And, um, and that's how it was, you know. I remember a couple times I would just, I don't even remember how I walked to school and made it to school, but I probably reeked of alcohol. And I, one occasion I remember walking down the hallways, everyone kind of cleared the way, you know. I'd wake up in the uh, uh, locker room, passed out. And that's how it went. And that was the expectation and the, uh, you know, the everyday behavior pretty much for a while, correct or not? Yes. Oh, no, it definitely was. The, the, I was there for about a year, but, um, you know, I, unbeknownst to me, I was just masking all those fears and, and you know, um, resentments, all the pain 
So yeah. how did you come to the conclusion that you had just been masking those? Uh... Oh, my, my goodness. Uh, that, that conclusion didn't come up until recently. You know, I, I think I lived in denial for so long, you That's know, just usually the case. Right, right. You know, I mean, I came to a point like in my late 20s where I realized I was an, I was an alcoholic and an addict and I couldn't control my drinking and I had to stay away from it. But there was so much pain there. And then there's so much not only new pain, but that old pain that I just it was like like popcorn, you know, it's coming out and I needed to push it down. That layer upon layer, and it just ended up uh, somewhat exploding internally. Oh, def- definitely. Out. Yeah, yeah. No, um, here, uh, as of late, you know, the, the my last run, if you would, um, you know, I was just, uh, just wanted to die, you know. I wanted to die, and I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I didn't know why. Self-harm became part of my routine, blacking out to the uh, you know at one point i blacked out for a week and um and i my 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 hood was in someone's trunk and i came to i'm talking to the chp over there that you know that's like the state troopers i guess the california highway patrol and i was like man my life is over god was looking out for me because if i got a dui i wouldn't have this job today you know if they reported the the accident the accident didn't even get reported i said to myself wow you know other people aren't so lucky. In California, you hear it every day. Someone's dead. You know, this guy hit a car and five people are dead. And who, who, who always lives? The alcoholic. Yes. Yes. It's always like that. And, I, and, and that scared me kind of straight. Of course, I went on another little run for a couple of weeks. But in my mind, I said, I, I, I don't. It got what? your attention. It, it sure did. It started to move you in a positive direction, even though you didn't know how to get there at that time. It gave you an awareness. Well, I, I, I think that the, the funny thing is that the devil took me to the place where God rang a bell, right? Because okay. he was trying to take me out, and he has been for— It was going to be one or the other. It was going to be one or the other, you know? And I could have killed somebody. I could have killed myself. I, like, I don't remember. Like, when that happened, it was like almost a week and a half. I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember anything. Yeah. You know, I was so hyped up on, on, on meth and pills and, and alcohol. I use drugs just to get me more drunk. And I get drunk just to forget everything. And lately, it's, it was happening like that. But, you know, like I said, God, uh, God has always had his hand in my life. And um, I think I finally <laughs> realized it this particular day. That, that was the moment where the light came on. It, it did. Very, very, very. It was like a lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. You started seeing hope, started seeing help. There was a beacon there in the darkness and the fog of your life that drew you to a positive place, and that place was God. Tell us how God's worked since then. Tell us what your recovery has been like. How long have you been sober and clean of drugs, Joshua? Well, I've learned in the rooms that, uh, you know, I just have today. I have my 24 hours. You know, but I have been out of rehab and I've been clean this clean and sober this time for about 85 days, if I'm correct. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I don't, 
you know, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I like having someone who's new in their recovery. We get somebody who's been in recovery 15, 20 years. I still love to hear their story, but yours is still pretty fresh in your experience and your mind and the struggles that it created. So Very much so, yes. I, I, I am, uh, you know, my brain, my heart, my soul is raw. It's raw. Yeah. And not only, and I, and I said this to the to the guys because I, I, you know, I have this camaraderie and this brotherhood with the, the gentlemen that I've met through through uh, the lighthouse and and going to the meetings and, and um, you know, being at the lighthouse was kind of like the calm before the storm, right? Like we thought it was, I thought it was tough in there, and I'm going through this and that and the roller coaster of emotions and. No. You know, the moment I stepped away from there and the moment I was in the world waiting to go to work and, and, and dealing with my wife and, and dealing with my brothers, because one of them is, you know, we have addiction runs rapid in our, in our family. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's just right now is when the storm is happening. I don't know how to deal with a lot of things, you know, a lot of emotions. I, I still find myself trying to find ways to push them down well, with exercise. You with, would, yeah. yeah, you amassed them for so long, you've never been able to practice in a positive manner. Yeah. And here you are getting that accomplished. Where are you in your relationships with family at this point? Well, you know, um, the middle brother, he, he just... I feel for him because because uh, about two weeks I, into me being in recovery, you know he's going through his own stuff and he he's he, long story short he ended he's in jail now, and he looks to be in jail for a very long time, due to this addiction. So that's my brother, and even if he wasn't in jail, I would probably have to take him out of my life because it's unhealthy. Okay. And then there's a younger brother, and he's in an active addiction, and um. And although I love my brothers, I love my family. They're just very toxic for me. And I've understand. I've under. I understand that now. That's not easy to come to that point, is it? To recognize and admit it, but it's certainly important to do, for the sake of your own recovery. And that's not selfish. <laughs> contrary, you know, contrary to you know, other people's belief. Sometimes I feel like it is selfish, but now I know that it's it's not. Because if Josh isn't well, Josh is not going to be able to help anyone around him. If you can't help yourself, you can't help others very well. No, no. I'm, I'm still learning how to love myself. And that's turning out to be a very, very, very difficult obstacle just because... I don't even know. I thought I had good self-esteem, but at this point, I have no self-esteem. I have, you know, all these things coming up. My All the relationships I've torn, ripped apart, you know, not only in my family, but in, in, in all reality, I've never really had even friends, you know. All the people I know either do drugs, sell drugs, or are just around for the drugs, Right. And at the end, though, I just, it, it was, I was so consumed. So I call it the beast feeding the beast, right? Because I, I, I get high and I get drunk. And I feel so crappy because I don't want to do it. I don't. 
I don't want to do it. You know, that makes me think of those words of Paul in Corinthians where he says, I do the things I don't want to do and things I want to do, I can't get done. Now, that's paraphrase. That's my paraphrase. I know that's not verbatim. But the idea, I've yet to meet someone who struggles with addiction that's where they wanted to be 20 years ago. Nobody's ever said to me, 20 years from now, I hope I'm into addiction. I'm struggling with all these issues, and I re- you know, I uncover a multitude of problems that drove me to the moment. I've never heard that, but that's the story so many people tell. And the, and those stories are, are so different, but at the same time, they're so similar, right? Because exactly. in the rooms, I can hear my story a hundred times. And I want to feel special, like Josh is the only one that has these problems. Josh is the only one that was abused. Josh is the only one that's seen these things that he didn't want to see or be part of these things that he didn't want to be a part of. But when the enemy takes you and you're ignorant and you're pretty much just a foolish boy, which I was, which I still am in a way because I stopped you're making maturing. up for lost time. I'm, I'm trying to, and, and that's where I failed, I think. So I was in recovery last year as well. I did a 90-day program. But that's where I failed because I said, well, you know, like you said, you know, I've got 32 years of running and gunning the streets and homeless and this and that and, and, and up and down and having things and not having things. And it's just been a wild, wild rodeo. It's the best way I can, you know, explain it. It's been a rodeo, and some bulls were tougher than others. Some you could ride. And some rode me. Yes. You know? And um, just, it's, 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 uh, I'll tell you one thing. I don't, I don't regret anything that's happened in my life because I see that it's made me the person that I am today. Right? So I have a firm belief that some of us are made to suffer, so others don't. And, um. I mean, that, that, I don't know how that sounds, but I, I just believe that because Experience if God tells you. Right, right. My, yeah, right, right. So, like, I mean, I, 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 I love helping people. I, help, I, I love helping others. I've walked the streets dirty, invisible, because that's what you are when you're on the streets. You're invisible to society, to life, to everything. Not very many people see you. And sometimes not even Christian people see you. And if they see you, they see you with eyes of, you know, condemnation and judgment. Instead of compassion and uh, the, the things of God, the eyes he wants us to use when we see someone. Right. And, and, and that's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. That's a big lesson for folks out there, our audience, to hear that... Uh, people can tell how we're looking at them. The attitude behind it, it's the eyes are the window to the soul. And you look into somebody's eyes, you can look deep and see there's compassion and caring, or it's just, man, get me out of this moment, you know, or I'll turn immediately away so I don't have to deal with this. Definitely, definitely 100% true. And it's, that's sad when there's so many of us uh, suffering, you know, uh, suffering not only from mental health issues and addiction problems, the full spectrum of addiction problems, right? Like 
gambling, sex, absolutely, all this stuff that that the flesh feel you know feeds on. So, is there a way we can truly, in your estimation, truly help the folks going through the battles you went through? What could I have done? What would you have asked? of me had we been at a point to where you felt comfortable speaking with me what could I have done for you that we're missing out on that, that's a very good question and the answer is probably more complicated than the question itself right because you can't help anyone that doesn't want help or doesn't even know or think they need help themselves right I'm lying Bottom line, bottom line, many people have tried to help me, but I just wasn't ready. I didn't want it. I didn't reach my bottom. Right. And uh, people's bottoms are different. Like I've, I've eaten from trash cans. I've lived on the street, like cold and it, it was horrible, but not even that took me to the realization that, Hey, I have a cousin that he's tried to help me out. When I lived in Tennessee, his name is Randall. Um, and he many times reached his hand out many times, many times. And I just pushed it away because you weren't ready at that time. The pain is so consuming that it's a fire. It's like a fire that's not lit, but it's burning you. Right. Kind of like sulfur in water, you know, stink. And you're just burning, and you don't even know why you're burning. And you, you know you don't you want to you don't want to live like this, but you live like this anyway because at the time you're just in survival mode. So much so so that you're like a Neanderthal, you know, and, and that little, that brain that has so much power, that heart that has so much love, and the and and if you were just you know God is with us. God was with me many many. He's been with me all my life. And he's talk, it took me out of many, many of dark places. But at the time, I just didn't even want to realize it was God. I just thought I was cool. I thought I was slick. I thought I was sly. I thought I was, this is, you know, this is my doing. The me, me, me syndrome. Me, 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 yeah. It's, and and it's, it's sad because that's what the enemy wants us to believe. And many of us do. And I believed it to the point where I, I did want to die. And I was dying. I was like a walking zombie. I'm a walking zombie. Piece by piece. Piece by piece. You know, your soul just disappears. You ask, what could you have done different? Not give up. Not give up. Because it's easy to say, well, this guy doesn't want it. Leave him alone. And that's sometimes how I feel with my younger brother. You know, like... I tell him, brother, you know, I just wish you can feel the freedom that I have today. Oh, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, it just doesn't work. I know it's ultimately God's time schedule. I get that. But it's a, secondarily to that, it's their time schedule, not ours, right? Right. We can offer we can be there. We can hang in there with them. We often like to say, stay in the battle. We can be in the battle with you, but we can't fight it for you. I have always believed that God can provide the farmer the ground for his crop, 
but God's never driven a tractor and gotten a plowing done, okay? <laughs> that's for sure, yeah. And, and that's the way it is here. <laughs> We've got to do the work. God will give us the energy. He'll give us the moments, but we have to shovel the dirt to get it out of the way. And and that's very true, you know. I mean, God helps those that help themselves, right? Um, I mean, he'll even give you the resources, right? He'll so, give you the resources, but so what are your? I'm going to throw a number out there. If you only get three, hooray! Give us your your most important coping skills. Give us five of your most important coping skills that keep you above the drug at this time. What are those five things that work for you that might work for someone else, or they may not? We understand the journey to recovery is different for every one of us. No one path will get us all there. We wouldn't be here talking today, Joshua. That's very true. That's very true. But there is one ultimate way and one ultimate path. And for me, that path is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without God in my life, I would be living for myself. And I would still be using and abusing. Not only drugs and alcohol, my life, my wife, my body, my family. So, number one, first and foremost, is God. Your relationship. Because of who he is, not because of who you were or because of who you are, but because of who he is. Exactly. Okay, I don't like to name God as a coping skill, but we'll take that as number one. So what's number two for you? So um, the camaraderie of the fellowship, people like yourself, people that want to listen, because some people say they want to listen, but they don't hear you. Exactly. So all walks of life. All walks of life. You know, you could be anyone or no one. I've heard it said the opposite of addiction is not being clean, but com- community relationships. Exactly. So that's what you've just said to us in so many words. Mm-hmm. Do you have other coping skills that you like to use? Personally, I use exercise. Um, Right now, uh, I just try to stay busy with work. Um, That's a positive outlet. Now, that can become an addiction as well. It could, very well so. we all know those who who verge on that, but that's that's a positive thing. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, I try to... So, I try to maintain a healthy balance. So, not only mind, body, and spirit, but soul. So, you know, I, I just... I find help in, in others that suffer like me. Um, helping others helps me cope, takes me out of self, right? That's the premise of, yes. uh, of AA, right? I mean, that's uh, the 12th the, the step, right? To give, to spread the word, to love. Yeah, yeah. Give back yeah. uh, in a positive way. So let's kind of go to the opposite of all of that. What are your triggers? Uh, yeah, what are your triggers? I wasn't, I wasn't waiting for that one, but <laughs> I got you, though. <laughs> All right. Yeah, those are easy. It's it's crazy how the positive is hard and the, the negative is easy. So anger is my trigger. I I, I, I have a very, very um, big anger issue, problem, because I do not know how to express my emotions. 
it is the easiest of all emotions to express is our anger, whether we're in addiction or not. That especially, uh, I mean, yeah, I'll say that, especially as a male, you know, anger's an easy thing, but to be soft is difficult, and we wonder about the ridicule, so we'll handle it with anger. Give us another trigger. Another trigger would be uh, confrontation. So confrontation, any kind of arguments, mostly because right now the only person in my life is my wife, <laughs> you know. I love her, but she just, you know, she doesn't need, she just says something and I can just light on, uh, you know, there's a fire that just explodes. It just hits in a hurry yeah. before you know what's going on. You're in the middle of the battle. And I don't want to. fire. Yeah, and I don't want to feel nothing. So yeah. what do I do? I take a drink. Yeah, yeah. Is there another trigger that's big for you? Um, you know, resentment and the lack, and I'm going to be honest with you, the lack of forgiveness in my heart. You know, it's hard for me to forgive. Uh, it truly is just because I've lived in, in, in this dark place that, uh, you know, I've heard it said that, you know, I, I drink the poison and wait for you to die. And there are many people in my life that I've been drinking the poison for. I'm not going to ask you to name them, but could you name those three people you most need to forgive? Do you have those names in your own mind? I do. I do. And, um, <clears throat> you know, they're the very, very, very people that were supposed to protect and take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I like how you added that. Those who were supposed to protect and take care of you. You're not the first one to sit in that seat and express that. Uh, you made a comment earlier how, <clears throat> you know, the paths are different, but so much is the same. And we've all got those struggles from our life. It's a matter of how we deal with them. And as we began it's what we turn to, and you made it clear that God's your number one. Uh, he's got your back more than anybody else on this planet. That's for sure. And I say that to everybody out there, that I believe in that with all my heart. So once you, you've been on the recovery trail, and you've had your ups and downs with that, you've already expressed that, how do you explain to people who may not get it what what it means to relapse, uh, what it means to turn back to that pill, that drug, that alcohol? How do you explain it? Because the first thought is, dude, you had it for a month, two months, three months. Why would you turn back to the old, the old you? So... You know, um, my sponsor, he, he told me, you know what, Josh, uh, you, you, uh, you, you relapsed, you, you messed up, but it doesn't take away the knowledge that you've gained up until that relapse. Right. So uh, yeah, like right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't, the only thing that changes is your sober date. So for me, uh, I've been to seven rehabs. I've gone to like four detoxes. Uh, and it took me 32 years to get these 80-some days. So I would say to someone, just never give up. 
you know, there is a solution. And the solution is not you. <laughs> and, I very, and I always yep. thought that I can get myself out of this mess. It's not true. Dr. Phil would have said, how's that working for you, Joshua? You said 32 years to get to these 80-plus days. Mathematically, that's not very much in your favor, okay? But all that matters, and when I asked you a little bit ago what your, how long you've been clean, you didn't give an exact answer other than in the sense you're more worried about today, concerned about today. If you get through today, it's one more day regardless of when you started. And when you started isn't going to change. It's how long will you keep it. And you're in that process. Joshua, what else do you want folks to know? Uh, Any kind of personal advice or thoughts, we'll start to wrap this up. But I want to give you that chance. And then I have one more question. You know, uh, the most important part for me this time, um, obviously knowing that I can't take care of this situation by myself, is the fact that uh, I humbled myself enough to be able to say that I can't do it alone and reach and, and just put my hand out. Like, just put your hand out, you know. You put your hand out, someone's going to grab it. Someone in recovery is going to grab it. They're going to hold on tight. And if you don't let go, or if you do let go, they will not let go. And that's been, that's been pivotal in my recovery today, the camaraderie, the love. Because when you're in a recovery home, you, 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 you're, you're, you're in the trenches. You're in the trenches. You're bleeding. You're, you're getting maimed, and, 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 and you're, 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 you're crying, and, and you're... I've heard it said recovery is as tough as when you're in the middle of the addiction. It is, and, and probably more so because you're feeling psychologically right. starting to yeah. come around. Absolutely, yeah. and that is crazy. That is just to me, it's very, very difficult. I don't think a lot of folks would get that without being in your shoes, without being in your battle. Right. Yeah. One more thing I would say is just to talk about it. You know. I've talked about my, my sexual abuse because I was sexually abused as well at the age of 15 in a, in a blackout in that house with those guys and whatever happened, happened. So I had never talked about that, and it made me feel ugly and dirty and whatnot. But since I was in this last recovery home, I talked about it. I talk about it in the meetings. Just talk about it. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's keeping you with that anchor in the depths of hell, talk about it. It releases the, the power it has. And, of course, prayer. I get up on my knees and I go to bed on my knees. That's the best start and finish to a day you could possibly have. Final question here. Once again, the title of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. More than once you've talked about your faith here. What do those four words mean to you? Faith in your recovery. Faith is very difficult for me. My faith is weak. But in my weakness, I find strength in in what God's doing in my life. That's scriptural. That's scriptural. 
Uh. And, um, you know, God brought me here to you. God brought me to Miss Beth in, in, in Lafayette. Of all the states I could have gone to, I came to Lafayette, Indiana. And we're here today. It's 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 much more than coincidence. It's Christ, and uh, for me to have the privilege of getting to meet you and hear your story, you sent us a bio, and I read that bio, and I thought, whoa, uh, what a what an experience over and over in many different ways, and then to have you make the two hour trip to come here. That tells me you're serious about what you're doing and serious about trying to reach out to others. So uh, anything in closing? Uh, this is life or death for me. And there's only two options for me. Get well and get well. That's all. Or I die. Do you hear that, folks? Two options. Get well and get well. Joshua, thank you. Thank you for your willingness to share, for being open, for being raw and real as we ask you to. I was hoping you would share those things, but I'm not going to pull something out of you. You're not ready to share, but I'm sure what you've had to say is going to help somebody else stay the battle. To realize today may be dark, tomorrow can be totally different, and the dark will return. That's part of life cycle. Uh, the scriptures say you will have trouble. So they're going to come. But you can have a God that will lift you above them, bring recovery to you in more ways than one. God bless. Thank you. Amen. Amen. <laughs>